Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to our next guest is. Hello, and welcome to another Our Next Guest Is. This is a conversation where we meet the country's leading speakers in the corporate and events world, but we meet the person behind the name. My name is Michael Pope, and I'm here with Carson White from Leading Voice. Carson, who is our next guest? As a highly sought after international speaker, our next guest is a renowned international big wave surfer. With his chilled vibe and magnetic charisma, he has graced the stages of leading companies worldwide. From Google, Sony, Intel to MasterCard, he instantly captures audience with his epic tales and spectacular surf footage. Through his career as a professional big wave surfer and Red Bull athlete, he has become obsessed with the relationship between personal growth, high performance and fulfillment. His own high performance took him to the heights of his sport, but as he was about to sign a deal of a lifetime, he and a wave came crashing down that changed his life forever. And then a chance meeting changed it again in a way that he could never imagine. So here today to explain how he can look over the edge of a ridiculously powerful 30-foot killer wave and take that crazy drop, our next guest is Mark Matthews. Welcome, Mark. Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm like excited to listen to this person <laughs> speak. I don't think I've ever heard anyone like read that whole intro out. And I don't even know who wrote it. Is it it's like... A copywriter or something that I used years ago, or did you guys write that? It sounds no, no, that was uh, we got that we got most of that off your website. We tweaked it a little bit, obviously. It was easy to write, Mark, because I saw you in the flesh at a conference not too long ago, and I was um, blown away as the audience was by your story and also the uniqueness of it. And we'll get to those moments in a moment. But a really important question that I have for you is: How often do you wax? Wax? I mean, uh, I, not enough. Time. Look. <laughs> every time your board goes head. out or you put, no, I'm, I'm kidding. Tell, Wax tell my board us, every day, head not so much. Is that right? <laughs> tell us uh, those early days of uh, the pull of waves and, and the ocean. Um, I fell in love with the sport really young because uh, my father surfed. He's a surgeon and he gave up surfing to study medicine. But then um, when, he, uh, when I got old enough to surf, he introduced me to the sport and I absolutely fell in love with it. I wasn't a daredevil kid though and i was absolutely terrified of the ocean when i was little mm. um so much so that my mum used to have to rescue me over and over again into my early teenage years so out in the water and dealing with the waves was kind of the first time i learned the feeling you get from taking a fear on overcoming it and then for me it was riding a wave bigger than anything i'd ridden before and i was kind of hooked to that process and how old were you at that the the really like clear moment that i had was when i was 13 years old that was a, a kind of defining moment the year lead up to that when i was 12 i was terrified and wouldn't go in the surf and i'd be picked on by all my friends because i was the most scared one and then i surfed when i was 13 kind of twice the biggest waves as i'd ever surfed at that point in my life and it was just everything about doing that and overcoming that fear from the recognition from my friends, my peer group, uh, older surfers that I was around, and then just that internal feeling of actually flying down a wave bigger than anything I'd ridden, I was hooked. In a nice way, was it kind of an addiction to that fear that kept you going back and trying to overcome it? I think it's 100% an addiction on some level, but I think most things that drive humans in some regard are addictions. 
like you're addicted to certain neurochemicals and they drive your motivation. You just have positive ones or you have negative ones that destroy your life. And for me at that point, uh, surfing was definitely a positive one. You mentioned on your website, the only way through fear is you have to want it more than you actually fear it. Do you just want to elaborate what you mean by that? Yeah, one of more you fear is about the starting point to the journey of overcoming a fear. The very starting point, you have to initially decide to take on a fear. So you have to want whatever lies on the other side of that. Often our brains are negatively focused and we highlight all the dangers of taking something on. So stepping back, taking stock of what lies beyond the fear and the act, like doing a legitimate analysis of the dangers, then we can make a decision. Do we want what's on the other side more than we fear doing what it takes to get there? And what it takes to get there to overcome a fear, there's one thing, mm-hmm. it's experience. That's it. You've got to get the experience. In clinical psychologists, they call that exposure therapy, voluntarily exposing yourself to what you're fearful of so that you can build the skill set, obtain the knowledge that you can carry into the scenarios, situations, environments that make you nervous, and eventually you master them. And then your fear dissipates and it becomes excitement, enjoyment, and uh, you become addicted to those things. So the young teenager was overcoming his fear by that experience and doing it more and more. And there'd be many boys and girls in their teenage years that kind of happy just to just to surf. But you've gone the ultimate, you've gone for the, you know, the biggest waves in the world. What was it that made you see that as your Everest? I wasn't very good at school. Let's let's just say, just to put it mildly, um, <laughs> I was working uh, along the side as a carpet layer. If anyone's done carpet laying laborer job, <laughs> worst job in the world. And I was like, I'm doing anything I can to make a career out of this sport that I love so dearly, rather than do this to earn money. So initially, that was the main drive. And on top of that, I just love the feeling of doing it. You're using the fear of being a carpet layer to actually drive you to be a, a better surfer. But where was the point where you actually thought that I could actually make this a career and get rid of carpet lay? It happened in 2001. And that was right. I was on the sort of precipice of giving up on my dream of being a big wave surfer and uh, going back to school or university or looking for some sort of career, maybe taking up that carpet laying trade. Um, but at that moment... I got invited on a surf magazine trip down to Shipstone's Bluff, a wave in Tasmania. At that point, it hadn't been photographed before, and it was the scariest sounding wave on the planet. <laughs> and uh, it was a make or break moment for me. It was like, if I do well on this trip, surf these huge waves, I may have a career at the end of this. And um, at that, actually, at that particular point in time, my mum was, I was living with her, my parents had split, and she was... Um, really sick at that time. And it just I just had this extra motivation going in that trip because in the back of my head, I was going to have to financially look after my mum from that point. And I think that motivation tipped me over the edge to push a whole lot harder than I ever had in the surf. And that's what made me realize what I was capable of in the surf. Just that one moment. It's mm. like, and, th- and they're those moments, like for whatever reason you can conjure up some element of extra motivation in a specific moment, then you're able to actually find out what you're made of. Because unless we push that hard or push ourselves that hard, you don't really know for sure what you're made of. And and that off the back of that trip got magazine covers and newspaper spreads and picked up my first big surfing sponsorship and then 
the uh, writing was on the wall, how to make money for me out of big wave surfing. And it was travel around the world, find the world's biggest waves, take a team of filmers, photographers, water safety crew managers, publicists along with me, surf the world's biggest waves, create the content. The content goes out in the media, marketing value of that media. We get paid in bigger and bigger sponsorships. That's the basic business of, of yeah. big wave surfing. When you took that sliding door moment and, and did the, the first one and then everything followed afterwards, how important is the team around a professional big wave surfer? It depends how good the surfer is. And I joke in my keynote that I wasn't genetically gifted to be a, a professional surfer. And I make a funny joke about having the genetics of a female supermodel, especially <laughs> the leg size, which is not great for balance. Right. You need short low center of gravity, big, thick, strong legs, great for, for balance. I have uh, actually have the exact same size legs as Jennifer Hawkins. I remember, I don't remember the joke, but I remember your legs. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> see? So for someone like me, in order to make up for lack of genetic gifts or talent, the way to do it is surround yourself with amazingly talented people. And for me, the filmers, the photographers, and especially the water safety crew, they make or break your career. And then on top of that, your publicists and managers, that, that, that unit that I had, there's no way I become a professional surfer with, um, without all of their help. So you, you become a professional surfer, things are going well for you. I, I'm intrigued to find out that the, um, the surf break where you actually ended up having the major accident, where was that and what year was that? Yeah, the severe, the worst, let's say injury that I've suffered that I talk about in a, in a new keynote that I do. It was in 2016 and it was down the south coast of New South Wales. Not a particularly big wave that we went to surf, mm. but um, the nickname of the wave is Killers. <laughs> was that not a clue? It's called Killers for good reason. <laughs> Re really deep water wave, so very powerful. And then where it breaks is on a really shallow rock bed, a reef. And um, I believe I was just extremely unlucky at that point. Things just didn't go my way on a, on a wipeout and I was smashed into the reef. And from that point on, I was told I would never surf again. And that is the journey that my uh, keynote talks about is how I came back after being told I would never surf again. It does indeed. And I don't want to, um, I don't want this conversation with us to spoil the impact that your presentation has on an audience when you do take them through this dramatic chapter that we just alluded to then. So let's jump over that now, because thinking about your presentation and planning for this conversation today, it came to me that you're sort of a, an accidental speaker in the sense that we've had guests on our podcast who have planned from an early stage to um, do what they do. And then at a certain time they go, now I feel I've got a, a base of knowledge and now I'm going to spread that to the world. And that's great. And it's working for them brilliantly. You on the other hand are, are that rare mob who something happens to you, but gee, you've learnt the lessons from it. And there's now a motivation in you to share those. Is this making sense? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> the, the, I tried to avoid public speaking for a decade. I was introduced <laughs> to it 10 years earlier and, uh, and told this could be an amazing career for you, but I'm hyper introverted. So the exhaustion and nerves and anxiety it takes or it took originally for me to get, get up on stage and speak in front of me, uh, in front of people was harder for me to overcome than surfing big waves. Wow. And it's funny because that's I talk about this in my keynote. It's like <laughs> I had to apply everything I learned about dealing with fear, stress, and building resilience in the ocean into the world of public speaking. Right. Because that's how nerve-wracking it was for me 
Mm. It's interesting because you obviously we talked about earlier about how you experience is um, you got to push through the fear. You know, you've got to um, get to the other side. And you said doing that experience. I mean, keynote speaking, the only way you get better is doing a lot more keynote speaking. So have you found now that um, using that model, the own philosophy that you've adopted, that you're you're keynote speaking, you're becoming more um, comfortable with it and becoming more part of you? Definitely. And it's exactly that. It's just in my, like I just put off doing the work for so long to become yeah. comfortable. So in big wave surfing, the version of that work or voluntary exposure, like the psychologists call it, is <clears throat> basically I'll go get a free diver and we've got to recreate the scariest moment in surfing so that we can condition ourselves to not panic in that moment. And the scariest moment in surfing is a huge wave holding you underwater trying to drown you. The only way I found to recreate that is I get a free diver. What's a free diver? Sorry, a free diver. So the people that f- see how long they can hold their breath and dive to crazy depths in the ocean can hold their breath for up to 10 minutes at a time. Like okay. Way longer than what I can. So we go to a, a deep water pool below the Olympic diving boards, five meter deep pool. Bell goes off, dive into the pool, swim down, touch the bottom. My job to get myself to the surface so I can breathe. Free diver's job, hold me underwater until I pass out. <laughs> so we like fight and wrestle at the bottom of the pool and the whole time i have to try and get him off me but still remain composed while i'm going through this intense pain of carbon dioxide building up in my lungs but just do it over and over and over again to condition myself so that i don't panic so that's the the big wave surfing version of voluntary exposure therapy but like i say to people the only thing worse than being drowned at the bottom of a pool is the public speaking version of that. <laughs> I know the equivalent that you're talking about, about that exposure. In my experience, what I tend to do, and it still happens to this day, I stay on stage five, seven, ten minutes, people constantly booing and throwing things at me and saying, <laughs> get off. And I've gone to about 45 minutes in constant mayhem and I've survived. So, so I understand what you mean. No, but seriously, on that free diver uh, thing, how long is the longest you've been able to stay under then? I can comfortably, if I prepare well, and get myself into a meditative state, four to five minutes. Wow, I'd say right. I can do fairly comfortably, but that's getting yourself into a meditative state before sure. you go down. Whereas in big wave surfing, you got to do it at a high heart rate. So you kind of, it's like doing a 25 meter sprint in a pool as fast as you can, and then you go under and hold your breath. So it's way like that's kind of one minute 20. You're, you're really pushing it. But big waves don't very, very rarely hold you under longer than 40 seconds. So okay. That's just- which, is, which is a long time if you've ever, like I've just taken up <laughs> surfing again after 25 years last year, Mark, and 40 seconds is a, is a long time to be held up. It feels like a lifetime. <laughs> if there is any anxiety or panic in you, that 45 seconds feels like a lifetime. Let me take you back to your keynote and gratitude, I remember, is a, is a key uh, aspect of that. You dodged a bullet with the, you know, you'll never surf again, but you've come back to surfing. So I'm imagining that the gratitude is very much tied up in that recovery. Yeah, there was just one like really poignant moment in my recovery. And it was when I was in hospital and I was down and out just hating the world, like so frustrated, angry about what had happened to me and during my hospital stay I got consumed with like self-pity for what I'm going through and in that moment I just couldn't do anything and then I just had this moment and it was just by luck I ran into a kid uh, who was in the hospital who basically had it way worse than me and meeting this kid 
just created like a force shift of perspective about what I was going through. And all of a sudden what I'm going through seems like the easiest thing in the world compared to what that kid's going through. And I felt what that emotional state that I, I found from that, it felt like gratitude. Like I all of a sudden felt lucky instead of angry and frustrated and full of self-pity. Mm. And that seemed to have a profound effect on the way I was able to go through my rehab and recovery. And there's a lot of science uh, behind the ability to cultivate that emotional state or shift your perspective, how resilient it can make you. Um, so that's kind of a, was a big part of my recovery. And I, I try and get people to feel that in my keynote. I try to get them to implement a couple of techniques that really helped me. And um, that seems to be one of the best things that I've done as far as in my keynote speaking world, like as far as the feedback that comes through, people are having life-changing moments specifically around this one technique that I get them to do that's called a gratitude text. And I even get people's partners who receive the text message. Someone's uh, wife the other day wrote to me and just said, I don't know what you said to my husband at your keynote talk, but there's a change in him like I've never seen before. Mm. Like just randomly wrote me that message. And I'm like, wow, this feels really good. So now I give away, you know, I spent last year, I think it's going to be $25,000 in prizes and stuff to elicit people to get them to send the message. Because in those moments, people are just really motivated by the prize. But then when they actually do the technique, then they realize how powerful mm. it is. So, yeah. And in your keynote, you talk about courage and resilience, which you just sort of touched on um, through your experience within the hospital. And you say that courage and resilience is not just reserved for adrenaline junkies and professional athletes. Everyone can um, uh, learn and adapt and be better in that those two in those two spaces. Just give us one little bit of a, I guess, a tip in terms of how do how do we actually find our own courage and and, and become more resilient? I think that the, the fundamental piece to the puzzle of resilience and courage is first just stepping back from your life assessing where you're at and then thinking about where you want to go like what do you want life to look like in five years from now and what would you like to avoid you know like and when you become really clear on that in your brain that's the basis of resilience because there's this, this really, this really cool, because I'd love to explain this is really cool uh, research done. And it's all about this reflexive mechanism in your brain called the orienting reflex, right? And the orienting reflex in a roundabout way creates almost 80% of your brain's positive emotion. So a positive emotion is what makes you resilient. So 80% of it is coming from one reflexive mechanism in a roundabout way. For the orienting reflex to function properly, it needs to see evidence of progress towards something of benefit to you. So if you're not clear about where you would like to go or what you want to avoid in life, then that part of your brain becomes uncertain. And then all those little day-to-day -day tasks that you're doing, you don't necessarily know for sure why you're doing them. And then it doesn't produce the positive emotion. If you're really clear on what you want to achieve, why you're doing the day-to-day -day tasks, then those little moments of time during your day-to-day, -day, even though they feel mundane, that allows your brain to create positive emotion from a small mundane task. And then when you get faced with all the adversity along the way in life, your brain's better equipped if you're set out like that. Like that's the basis 
of psychology yeah. basically right. is is are those questions but i think that's the fundamental piece of resilience let's take you to the stage because people listening are probably you know on their email now reaching out to you to book you what does a conference get when they get mark matthews for example the next wave tell me about that team building exercise the next wave that's a it's a sort of um interactive teaming program so what I, what I, it's hard to explain this one, but it's like I'll put the audience into teams, right? They are professional big wave surf teams. Then they have to navigate their way through all the decisions that I made in my career. So they say they see video based scenarios, and then from those scenarios, they make a decision, choose option A or option B, and then they get scored along the way as they see the outcomes of their decisions. At the end of the program, there's a winning surf team. They all win surfboard and stuff. It's uh, it's awesome fun. And then we build in all the different skill development pieces from decision making under pressure, from communication frameworks to a high performing teams, uh, all kinds of different stuff. What, what member of your team would I be? Because I've got the legs of El McPherson. <laughs> you might be my manager or <laughs> water safety because it's not going to slow you down on the jet ski at all. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Mark, with your keynote, it's broken up into three parts, which I noticed on your website. There was three key areas, the courage to commit, uh, surviving the impact zone and capitalising on the next wave of opportunities. And each of those are sort of, you, you indicate, are broken into 20-minute chunks, which I think is great because if someone wanting to book you, they get a real sense of what they're actually going to get in there. The 30-second overarching spiel on, on if you're selling the keynote, what is it really fundamentally about? It's got to be just two things. I want to elicit from the audience the excitement to take on a challenge. And I don't try and make people want to take on dangerous, life-threatening challenges like I do in the surf. Like I want them to take on challenges in their personal lives or in their professional lives. And then if they're going through something difficult, learn that ability to shift your perspective, which is easier said than done. But the only way I can elicit that is through telling a story of the profound effect that it had on me. And at the end of that, it's like all the other conference content can be better digested because they walk away from the conference with that emotion, you know, like they can take on and implement all the strategy that they've heard during that day. That's for me as a, a keynote speaker at an event, what I want to do. And you do it really well. As I said, I saw you last year uh, in flight and you had such an impact on the room. After you, we went to lunch and the, and the conversations that your keynote spurred were fantastic. I think accidental speaker works well with you, Mark, because you set out in life not to stand up in front of people and you've overcome that fear. But, but I'm trying the, to get out of it already. Like, <laughs> like, how but, can I retire or have someone else tell my book? No, no, no. I, I also want to add to anyone listening that he is he's a very good presenter. Don't think that he stands up there and, and um, uh, you know, wobbles those, uh, those legs. You're a terrific presenter. You've got an awesome story, even though it's kind of one that you wouldn't want on anyone. But you've come through the other side of it, like the other side of a wave. And the lessons that we can all learn are really crystal clear. So thanks so much for your time today, Mark. All the best. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. So if you want to go uh, surfing with Market Killers or hooking to speak at your conference or event, please go to his website, www.markmatthews, and that's matthews1t.com. Surfing at Killers is free. <laughs> You've been listening to Carson White from Leading Voice and your MC, Michael Pope, with our next guest is... 
More guests can be found through iTunes or just visit www.ournextguestis.com.au. But until next time, let's take a break.